we have a loving Father who is even able to forgive if we cast ourselves upon Him. He is a great God of mercy and grace. He offers that to you and to me today in salvation, but also in learning how to be faithful managers of all that He gives us. Welcome to First and Foremost, a weekly broadcast of First Presbyterian Church in the heart of downtown Greenville. Senior Pastor Richard Gibbons invites you to join us as we study God's Word together and discover what is first and foremost in our lives. Turn with me in your Bibles to Luke's Gospel, the 16th chapter. Hear now God's Word. Jesus told His disciples, There was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So he called him in and asked him, What is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management, because you cannot be manager any longer. The manager said to himself, What shall I do now? My master's taking away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig, and I'm ashamed to beg. Ah! I know what I'll do, so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. So... He called in each of his master's debtors. He asked the first, how much do you owe my master? 800 gallons of olive oil, he replied. The manager told him, take your bill, sit down quickly, and make it for 400. Then he asked the second, how much do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat, he replied. He told him, take your bill, make it 800. The master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than they are the people of light. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves, so that when it's gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So... If you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, you will, who will trust you with true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? No servant can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. The Pharisees, who loved money, heard all this and were sneering at Jesus. He said to them, You are the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of men, but God knows your hearts. What is highly valued among men is detestable in God's sight. Amen, and may God add His blessing to His holy word. Everyone, I mean everyone, loves a story about the little guy who beats the big guy. That's the theme of almost every piece of literature that's been around, every screenplay that's ever been written about a movie. It's generally one of those plot lines is the little guy beats the big guy. He sticks it to him. 
This is true to some extent in uh, J.R.R. Tolkien's Lord of the Rings series. Now, I have a daughter. Um, she was here for the 830 service, so I can say this, and she won't hear me um, unless she listens on the TV or something. When she was eight years old, she was listening to The Hobbit on uh, old cassette tapes, and we had to suffer through that. I mean, it was, it was kind of interesting. And then she read The Lord of the Rings, and we read it with her, and then we went to the movies, and it, you know, the whole story. And everybody seems to think that Frodo is the main character. But I tend to agree with what a guy named Quickbeam, his name is Cliff Quickbeam Broadway, on the One Ring Net uh, website says this. He says that Sam Wise Gamchee really is the little guy who sticks it to the big guy. And he talks about this conversation that Frodo and Sam have in the movie. Sam's conversation with Frodo in the pass of Sirith Ungol says it all. And here's Sam. But that's not the way of it with the tales that really mattered or the ones that stay in the mind. Folks seem to have been just landed in them. Usually their paths were laid that way, as you put it. I wonder what sort of tale we've fallen into. I wonder too, said Frodo. But I don't know. And that's the way of a real tale. The people in it don't know. And when Sam realizes the grand stories of the first age of Baron and the Cimmerils are indeed connected to the present unfolding events, he says this, Why, to think of it! We're in the same tale still. It's going on. Don't the great tales never end? No, they never end as tales, said Frodo. But the people in them come and go when their parts ended. To this, Sam replies, Still, I wonder if we shall ever be put into songs or tales. It's a great story of how Sam actually is the one in the movie who is focused on at the end of the movie. It's not Frodo. It's Sam. Sam goes home to the Shire, marries his love for, forever, and they have children, and he simply says, I'm home. He's the little guy. Or it might be related to this kind of story that, that is true about rural Mississippi way back years ago. There was a fertilizer salesman. Some of you may know him. He's now deceased. His name was Jerry Clower. And he told a story about a merchant who had a mercantile store in rural Mississippi. And he was famous all around the county. He wasn't famous for his uh, underhand dealings or his incredible honesty. He was famous for the fact that every time a transaction was made in his mercantile store, he would quote a Bible verse. So people from all around the county, if they had some spare time, they'd come sit at the mercantile store around the Cracker Barrel because they wanted to hear what kind of Bible verses he would quote when he made a transaction. So one day, a big Cadillac drove up with a horse trailer on the back, and this guy came busting into the mercantile store, and he said, Sir, he said, I want your best horse blanket. So the mer merchant reached up, pulled out a blanket, laid it on. He said, that'll be $25. And the guy said, 
I told you I want your, I want your best blanket. And the guy said, okay. So he went up to the shelf, pulled off another blanket. Same make, different color, nothing different about it. He said, $75. And the guy said, I told you I want your best blanket. So he reached up, got another one, different color, same blanket. Laid it down. He said, that'll be 150 And the guy said, sold. And he ripped off the 150 bucks, And, and uh, everybody was just sitting there going, what's the Bible verse for this one? And as the man went out the door and the door slammed behind him, the merchant was heard to say as he rung up the cash register, he was a stranger and I took him in. The big guy got stuck, didn't he? Everybody loves that kind of story. That's the kind of story that we have before us in Luke 16. That's the kind of story that Mark in chapter 6 tells us the regular people of Israel love to hear. They love Jesus' stories. Because they were so vivid and so beautiful. And, as we know from Jesus, Jesus said, Those who have ears to hear, let them hear. So there's always a message in his story. This parable, its central thrust is judgment has come. The unjust manager has been found out. Somebody squealed on him. We know that from the passage and the story. And the master has come and said, You're fired. Turn in the books. And we get the response. You heard it. The unjust manager says, What am I going to do? I'm not strong enough to go out and get a job and dig ditches. And, and, and I, I can't see myself begging. What am I going to do? Oh, I got it. And so in his own inimitable, unjust way, he feathers his future nest. Doesn't he? Jesus commends, or the master commends this man, not for his unrighteousness, but for his shrewdness. Now, what, what do you mean, Tim? What are, you, what, are you, what are you getting at? Well, it's just this. The jig is up. Judgment is here. This is a similar story. It has many similarities with other stories. The manager is confronted with judgment. He is identified the man, the manager, is identified as unrighteous and later as a son of darkness. So he is a really evil guy. But you see, this is what would have kind of thrown Jesus' hearers off a little bit. Because just like us, we expect the little guy to be the good guy and the big guy to be the bad guy. But Jesus turns it around. 
He calls the little guy unjust and a son of darkness. So the hearers were going, this doesn't sound like the same kind of story I've heard before. And so hopefully the Holy Spirit is beginning to work in their minds. Why is he commended? He's commended because of his shrewdness. He knows judgment is coming, and he's got to do something. He can't just sit there. And by the way, notice in the story that the unjust manager does not defend himself. When the master comes and says, what's this I hear about you? You're fired? The manager just stands there. Why? Because he knows the master's caught him. And he's basically admitting that he's fooled around with his master's money. Judgment has come. Why is he shrewd? Why is that commended? Because it is evidenced in the story that the manager had come to know that his master was a merciful and gracious man. He probably learned that as he managed his properties. He learned that his master was involved with those who rented from him and cared about them. He had seen his master's graciousness and mercy. And now, banking on that, even in his very unjust way, he throws himself on the mercy and the, ju- and the grace of his master. Jesus is not commending the way he did it. Okay? Please get that through. He's not commending his unjustness. He's commending the fact that the manager understood that his master was a gracious man and that he would pay the price. You see, beloved, that's where each of us is today. Judgment is coming sooner or later. So, what does the manager do and why is he commended? Because he threw himself upon his master's mercy and grace. Our Heavenly Father, our Heavenly Master, invites you and me to cast ourselves upon His grace and mercy. We have no excuse for our sinfulness, for our mismanagement, for our unjust souls. We only have a loving Father who says, I am merciful and gracious. Cast yourself on me. You see, this is a story about judgment and what we do when confronted with judgment. Have you cast yourself upon this merciful and gracious master? Perhaps you're here today and you've never trusted Christ. 
Never casting yourself upon God's mercy. Never receiving the forgiveness of your sins and the hope of eternal life. It is being offered today by Jesus in this story. It is His offering to you to come to Him. There's only one management while we live here. We are the managers. God is our master. We are either unjust managers or we are faithful, loving, those who cast themselves upon the mercy of God because we know He will pay the price. And He has paid the price. Our Heavenly Father took His only begotten Son and crushed Him for us. The just for the unjust. Jesus is illustrating in this parable what is often illustrated in parables. It is the how much more factor. Get it again. The how much more factor. If this, mer if this merciful master in this story can have that much mercy and grace upon an unrighteous, continually unrighteous, unrepentant unrighteous man, if he can have mercy, then how much more can our heavenly master have mercy and grace? How much more? Infinitely more. What do we do in response to this kind of mercy? Jesus talks about this in verses 9 through 15. We are managers of everything in which he has entrusted us, with which he has entrusted us. We know God's mercy and grace because he has given it to us by the regenerating power of his Holy Spirit living inside of us. Turning our hearts of stone into hearts of warm, beating flesh that respond and cling to the Heavenly Father. What is our response? It's to obey. We don't obey because we are trying to win His favor. We obey because we have received His favor. You see the difference? We're not trying to win His praises we simply respond to His overwhelming love and mercy. How do we do it? The central thrust of the how we do it is found in verse 13. Look there with me for just a moment. Jesus says, No servant can serve two masters. 
Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Who was the unjust manager serving? Money. He wasn't serving his master. He made pretense to. We, in response to the love and the overwhelming mercy and grace of God, we're called to love and serve our master. And notice, there are only two masters, beloved. There's not a third or a fourth. And you can only serve one. Then how? What about mammon or money? Actually, the word money in the New International Version is a translation of the word mammon in the original language. Some of the how is found in verse 9, which is set in opposition to what the unjust steward did. Look at verse 9 with me. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves, so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. What did the unjust steward do? He made the debtors change their bills so that they would be willing to welcome him into their homes, right? But he was just renting space, brothers and sisters. He was just renting space. Here, Jesus sets in opposition, verse 9, where he says, what? Let's read it again. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves, so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. That may be a reference to the tabernacle or the temple. It is certainly a reference to living with God. Is that rental property? No, that's far more solid than anything we could have here. So how do we use, how do we manage, how do we use our mammon, our management, our money, our lives, our souls, our talents, our brains? We use it in service to the master. In the ways he prescribes We become loving, faithful managers. How do we do it? Well, the Ten Commandments have a lot to say about that. Which is the Eighth Commandment? The Eighth Commandment is, you shall not steal. What is required in the Eighth Commandment? The Eighth Commandment requires a lawful procuring and furthering the wealth and outward estate of ourselves and others. What is forbidden in the Eighth Commandment? The Eighth Commandment forbids whatever does or may unjustly hinder our own or our neighbor's wealth or outward estate. Isn't that what the unjust steward did? Yes. He broke the commandment. How do we respond to God's grace and mercy? By their lawful procuring and furthering the wealth and outward estate of ourselves and others. Very important word there. Others. 
our management involves other people. Other people all over this globe, not only those who live here in Greenville and who may live beside us or may live down the street or may, who work, may work in our office or go to school with us. It's others. The Lord calls us to be managers. But you know, He has given us so much grace because we're so unjust. And our default, unfortunately, the greatest temptation of all for us as Christians is to return to the old ways. Sometimes, I don't know about you, but I know about me. Sometimes it's just easier to go back to the old ways. And what are some of those old ways? It's thinking more of money than I think of my relationship with God. The temptation is revealed in the Pharisees who overheard Jesus' teaching. Look with me at verse 14 and 15. The Pharisees who loved money heard all this and were sneering at Jesus. He said to them, You are the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of men, but God knows your hearts. What is highly valued among men is detestable in God's sight. You see, beloved, we are called to serve the Master. And so our attitude toward those detestable things is that they are detestable. But my temptation, I don't know about you, is to call those detestable things that Jesus talks about here lovely things. That's just how insidious sin is. But you see, we have a loving Father who is even able to forgive if we cast ourselves upon Him. He is a great God of mercy and grace. He offers that to you and to me today in salvation, but also in learning how to be faithful managers of all that He gives us. Let's pray and thank Him for it. Father, thank You for Your great gifts to us that You have showered upon us from the day of our conception and that You hold in store for us as we process through this life. We ask that as we come to grips with our management of our whole persons and of all that you've given us, that we would cast ourselves upon you and for your mercy and grace and through your word and through your Holy Spirit for direction on how to be your managers. And we ask this for Christ's sake. Amen.
If you're interested in membership at First Presbyterian or want to learn more about our church and denomination, join us for our next First Look class on Sunday mornings. Register by calling 235-0496 or email us at contactus at firstpressgreenville.org. Join us Wednesday evenings at First Presbyterian Church in downtown Greenville. Our Wednesday Advantage program includes an affordable meal and elective classes for adults with Bible study and music for youth and children. Topics include theology, culture and archaeology, family life, Christian discipleship, prayer, and more. Visit firstpresgreenville.org or call 235-0496 for more details.